ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Working in advertising marketing, these are traditionally high burnout industries. I personally have been through burnout. I don't recommend, but I think that an approach to work that includes the four-day week can really help to address some of that. This is Joe Edwards, creative director and co-founder of The Walk, an integrated marketing agency. And he's realised that working just one day less has made a huge difference to his well-being. By being able to allow yourself to live a more sustainable life, you really give yourself the chance to succeed long term. You really give yourself a chance to be more valuable to other people. You give yourself the chance to be a better example to people so that they can also learn to live their lives more sustainably too. And Joe's realised this through an experiment where he and his team tried working in a different way than they used to. Something that's been gathering speed around the world. Let's rethink work. Let's give it a try. It transforms their experience of both work and life outside of work. I'm Lisa Leong, and in this episode of This Working Life, we're ripping up our work week and hearing the latest on the four-day week movement. We've been tracking progress for a while. You can go back to our old episodes if you want the full backstory. Just recently, Bunnings announced it will trial the four-day week for tens of thousands of its full-time employees. It's a little bit different to the usual four-day model, though. They'll still be working 38 hours, but over four days. And it's just one option. They can also choose to work a nine-day fortnight. It's a first for the retail industry and will be watched with interest. Four Day Week Global, the organisation that's spearheading the model and pilot program rollout, has just published results on their latest trial. Starting in August last year, 26 organisations across Australia and New Zealand trialled the Four Day Week for six months. So how did the latest pilot go? Well, boringly, it's absolutely consistent. That's Andrew Barnes. I'm the founder of Perpetual Guardian and co-founder of Four Day Week Global. And back in 2018, you did a pilot at Perpetual Guardian. And since then, you've supported over a thousand companies around the world in adopting the four day week. We've checked in with you periodically over this time. For those who might not have understood what a four day week involves, what would you say your one liner is for it? What we're talking about is material reduction in working hours, but without reduction in pay, provided we keep productivity the same. It's the 180-100 rule. That rule was developed by Andrew and Charlotte Lockhart. It's 100% pay for 80% work with 100% productivity targets achieved. So what are some of the common themes that have emerged from the responses after companies trial this? I think the biggest common theme is that employers and employees both like it. So about 90%, 95% of employees and employers say they would like to continue. And also that employees say that when they do it, they are more productive. What are some of the common hurdles in the experiments as they've been running that have needed to be overcome? The biggest hurdle is people like myself, to be honest, Lisa, are white guys who say it couldn't possibly work in my business. It would never work and are not actually looking at the evidence that's starting to drop out from our trials all over the world. 
And Andrew, as I mentioned, we've been checking in with you periodically, but what have you learned now about the four-day week that you possibly didn't know at the beginning? Well, first of all, how popular it was. <laughs> this is a this is a very accidental global campaign. What we're now seeing, though, is countries get on the bandwagon. So we're now working with the Portuguese, the Brazilian governments. We're having discussions with other organizations and governments around the world. And we are working with at least one other major Australian employer with about 30,000 employees that is saying we're looking to do this. So it sounds like this could work with large organisations. Have you had any examples or how big is the largest one that has been trialling the four-day week? Well, obviously the poster child is Unilever, both in trialling it in New Zealand and Australia. But Volkswagen manufacture cars on a four-day week and Panasonic do electronics on a four-day week. So size doesn't matter. Do you think it could even be done for large organisations like the public service or even the ABC? Just asking for a friend, of course. Well, absolutely. I think the ABC should be doing it immediately. But what we're starting to see is governments around the world start to look at implementing it in their public services and also local authorities. So there's one local authority that is trialling it in the UK at the moment. They saved a million pounds in the first few months as a consequence of not having agency staff because they were able to attract and retain employees. We've got four states in the United States putting forward reduced hours legislation. And of course, there are bills, private members' bills before the US Congress and the British Parliament at the moment. So this is really beginning to get the traction. The Portuguese and Spanish governments will both have public sector divisions in the trials. The pilot of the four-day week involves two months of preparation because, of course, it's not one-size-fits-all. And part of that is hearing stories from other companies who've done the trial already. Joe Edwards again. What we learned from, from some of the other businesses was that they had gone through long consultation periods. And I think this depended on the size of, of the business as well. So the more people involved, the more consultation they needed to have, the more they needed to understand how their teams were going to react to it, who was enthusiastic, who was not so sure, who was sure they didn't want to do it, and how to get people on board and on the journey with them. But of course, as with any experiment, the walk made their own mistakes in trialling the four-day week. We went into it, I think, with a team that wasn't quite ready for it. And this was not the team's fault. It was absolutely our fault, basically. I think that um, the advice that I'd give to someone, if they were considering this, was to make sure that the team you have in place is an established team, that they know their roles, that they know what's expected of them and what the outcomes need to be from their role. Because of the way the four-day week works, and that is the 180-100 rule, so you need everyone to understand what that 100% output is. Only if they are already very skilled at their role and very experienced will they be able to push themselves to that next level where they are actually achieving 100% output in 80% of the time. I think if they um, are not mature in their roles, it's too hard of an ask for them. The four-day week is absolutely transforming work. 
Professor Juliette Shaw is an economist and sociologist at Boston College. She's also the lead researcher on the four-day week pilots around the world, from the US and Canada to the UK, Ireland and South Africa. What we're finding is just tremendous benefits and changes. As many of the people who get a four-day week say, it's a life changer. It's not just a game changer, it's a life changer. In what way, Juliet? So it transforms their experience of both work and life outside of work. So a big part of why is that so many people are stressed and burned out. So work is extremely demanding. And yet at the end of the work week, they only have two days to recover. But those two days are filled with dealing with children if they have children, if not housework, errands, and what happens with the four-day week is that people actually get some time to recover from, from the work week. They're able to do their work and they get some time for themselves. So they, they can rejuvenate, they can restore themselves. And then what do they tell us? I'm ready to go back to work on Monday. I'm excited. You know, Sunday night is no longer that the night of dread. And so, Juliet, what are the benefits to businesses and organisations then in adopting the four-day week? The businesses and the organisations, because we have both for-profits, non-profits, a local government, uh, they're also really strong. They rate the trial very highly. They feel that the productivity of employees was really good. They feel the performance, uh, overall company performance is good. I think one of the big ways to figure out how companies are doing with this is to ask the question, well, are they continuing? After all, these are six-month trials and the companies don't have to continue afterwards. And the answer is that they are absolutely continuing. And there are a few that hadn't decided yet. And there's one company, and this is actually interesting because it's a profession that We've had just a handful of companies all across the world who after these trials don't continue. But there's one kind of company where we've seen a couple and that's architects. So the one company is, is an architecture firm. I think that's a really burnout profession and they're just having trouble figuring it out. But I mean, they'll get there. But other than that, they're all sticking with it, which is, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I'm interested in why you think it didn't work for architects. Tell me more about this and whether there are other industries where the four-day week hasn't quite worked, Juliet. Well, I'm not sure about the architects. We haven't done individual interviews. I think it has to do with the fact that it's a kind of burnout profession, very, very long hours. I do know of another architect firm in which, this is more anecdotal, but what happened was the architect's although they were supposed to go to a four-day, you know, really just worked so much. And they were unhappy because the staff were on four days and they were still working oh. five days. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just, that's just one firm I've heard about. But it's the one, you know, I now know about three firms, two of whom were in our trial that are architect firms that didn't continue. But but honestly, I think you can count on the fingers of a hand the number of companies across our trials that haven't gone on with it. Now, in terms of other industries, we are uh, seeing a skew toward white collar. However, we've got manufacturing and construction. We have food service, healthcare, 
it's possible to do this in pretty much any kind of business. I mean, they they all have, you know, particularities to their business. There are law firms, for example, around the world that are doing it. They work on the billable hours. You might think, how could they possibly do it? Actually, they're figuring it out. Architects may also, you know, many of them may be a billable hours system. And if you don't work with that, it's going to be hard to do. So you need to align your sort of financial uh, needs with that hours reduction. But there are law firms all over that are that are making it work, which is pretty interesting. And Juliet, is it difficult for some industries to adopt this model because they're already feeling burned out? So being more productive seems like a mission impossible? Yes, I call it the paradox of work intensity. So the low work intensity workplaces. That's the ones with lots of wasted time. It's not that hard to do the 180-100 model. But let's think about the high-intensity workplaces, the burnouts, the nurses, the doctors on the front line of healthcare, for example. They don't have that slack. They're not wasting time. That has been squeezed out of the system, mostly by economists, but, you know, just by necessity, too. So I think of them as the 180-80 model, which is they need a four-day week because five days at that pace is too much and and they're burning out. I mean, they need a decline in pace, but, you know, if they're not going to get that, at least fewer days working at that pace. Now, you could say, all right, well, it's not going to work because it's going to cost the company something. And the answer is, well, maybe not nearly as much as you think because it's already costing them so much in burnout, in mistakes, in healthcare costs, in unemployment costs. And there are beginning to be studies. The famous, there was a famous one in Sweden of nurses who went to a six hour day. And they had to hire new people for those extra hours. And it cost a little bit to that employer, better patient outcomes, big reductions in nursing, nurses' stress, improvements in the nurses' health, reductions in unemployment costs. But once you add in the social costs, like think of how much it costs us to train nurses and doctors. And if they're quitting in droves, which they are, The taxpayer is picking that up and society is picking that up. So this is why we're getting more and more healthcare organizations coming to us. I mean, I'm hearing, uh, I have multiple cases of healthcare groups that are switching nurses to four hour days because they're starting to realize this. They're losing their staff. They're having to hire these agency nurses and temporary, and they're much more expensive. So they actually think this will be a cost-effective change for them. So, Juliet, it's a very much a custom-built model for each company or organisation. You really need to figure out what works for them in terms of what this looks like and feels like, even in terms of which day should we come in or how does this actually work? Absolutely. I think on pretty much all dimensions that our message is there's not a one-size-fits-all. So for example, how do you figure out how to maintain your productivity in those four days? And that's really 
key to why the companies are having such good success. So it's not that they're losing a day's worth of productivity. They're actually getting employees who, in many cases, they report are more productive. And the employees actually report a big increase in their productivity, which we find really interesting. They're just working smarter. They're working more energetic. They're more focused. They're less distracted. So how companies get to that sort of new working patterns is individualistic. But then the other part of it is these companies and organizations taking that day off in different ways. You know, Friday's off for everybody is the most common model, but you've got every other configuration. For Joe Edwards and his team at The Walk, they tried a few different days before landing on the one that worked for them. We tried Mondays, Fridays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. We even tried two half days. And we did this with the input of the team. We uh, collected data and information about how people were enjoying their time off, what they found most valuable, and we eventually settled on Wednesday. It just seemed to work well for, for everyone. And for me, it's a great marker of something really important to understand about the four-day week, which is that it's actually quite hard. So to squeeze that extra efficiency and output into those two days without, and this is the key, you can't just do 12-hour days, that doesn't work. <laughs> so you just need to make, make sure that you're, the time that you're spending at work over your two regular days is um, super efficient and that you're achieving just the most important outcome and discarding the things that are not efficient and not valuable. So once you've been through two of those days, you're actually quite tired. <laughs> at least you should be because you've, you've tried really hard and every single moment you have tried to make the most of it. And that means by Wednesday, you're actually due for a break. Take a breath, have some time off, do something personal for yourself, and then you've got two more days before the weekend. The key thing is you give people the time off that's important to them. That's Andrew Barnes again. Because that's the thing you can't put a value on. And indeed, about 15% of people, when they've gone through the trial, say that you could not pay me enough money to get me back to five days a week. In fact, what did they say? How much of a pay increase would they require to induce them to come back? It's about something like 75% have said you're going to have to pay me between 20 and 75% more, which is quietly extraordinary. And I said 15% said just don't even think about it. I, you can't pay me enough to go back. And that's why this works, right? People value the time more than the amount of money we pay them to work in that time. And therefore, they will do everything possible to ensure that they can keep this four-day week. That's the motivational aspect of it, and it's why it works. How does hybrid work flexibility fit in with the four-day week model? Well, I think it's separate in that you can work too long when you're working from home. In fact, we would argue that you're not working from home, you're sleeping in the office. <laughs> and so the danger is that you don't put boundaries around your work life because it's just as easy for me to, you know, pick up the computer when I'm sitting at the kitchen table at 11 o'clock at night and do some work. So in a way, the reduced hours working four-day week idea puts some boundaries around work hours, which is equally applicable whether you are in the office, 
in the workplace or at home. And I think that's very important. And it, it enforces a period of time when you can turn off and leave work behind. Part of the secret sauce to the four-day week is cutting back on meeting time. Juliet Shaw again. So there are a number of things they do. One is things which used to have meetings. Now it's a phone call or now it's a Slack message. That's one thing. Reduced numbers of people at the meetings. Some of these companies, there's a company called Art Gifting in, in Boston that I've you know learned a fair amount about what they've done. They have done uh, various trainings for people. And actually, another a number of our companies have done this trainings to teach them how to run a meeting, to make the meetings are a lot shorter. I mean, the famous case is the Microsoft Japan. Back in 2019, Microsoft Japan trialled the four-day week and productivity went up 40%. Four, zero, 40. And because they had to shave a day out of the work week, they put meetings on a diet. The standard hour meeting became half an hour and no more than five people attended and only one person Per team. But these are the things that free up lots of time because if you look at the literature on white collar work and professionals, especially, it shows that they are spending an inordinate amount of time in meetings. I've seen estimates of up to a third of their time in meetings. For Joe Edwards, he and his co founder realised they weren't getting enough time for deep work. As owners of a business, we made our time available to people so that we could be the people unsticking their issues. And whilst that was great for everyone else, it sort of robbed us of the opportunity to do that really important deep work. So that was one of the great outcomes of it. We put together a traffic light system, which was red, do not disturb, orange, disturb at your peril, and green, come on in, the door's open. That's absolutely fine. What that resulted in was a really efficient way to produce those um, big strategic pieces or big creative pieces that required our experience. And Juliet, finally, for those listening who may not be in an organisation that's ready to trial this or might be working as a freelancer, what are some learnings, things you can extrapolate from your years of research as well that people can implement for themselves to improve their well-being and maybe even improve their productivity at the same time? Well, certainly many of the productivity hacks, if you want to call them that, that the com- or re- work reorganization is the official word for it, that the companies are involved in are applicable to individuals. So, you know, if you're a freelancer or if you're in an organization where you have some control uh, over what you do, meetings, distractions, those are really important. People are doing focus times where they don't respond to emails and so forth. And then, I mean, there's also the individual part of this that we don't talk about as much, but from interviews, we do know that people just get distracted by their computers, whether it's to go on Facebook or play a game or, you know, whatever they're doing. So trying to cut that out. So make yourself more efficient so that you can really get that work done sooner and have that true relaxation time. So to sum up, there are benefits to the four-day week, but it's not for everyone. And yes, it can be difficult and messy. It's part of a growing movement to improve how we work and live. And for many, it's working wonders, including for Joe at The Walk. They've decided to stick with the four-day week after finishing the trial. 
there were a couple of things during that time that really landed for me, which made it a no-brainer. The first was the approach to your day, absolutely smashing your work. The second thing was the time off that you get, being able to spend that intentionally. The big light bulb was when I realized that I was actually being paid by the business to make myself better. That I found really quite liberating because it meant being able to spend time on things that I found valuable, things that um, help build myself up, help me be more refreshed and more energetic. It's a great feeling. Thanks to my guests, to sound engineer Tim Jenkins and to producer Zoe Ferguson, who's itching to be part of the trial herself. I'm Lisa Leong, currently trialling a seven-day work week. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, work it, baby. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 